Last week, we saw that King Ahaziah got in a little bit of a funk. He fell through some lattice work, had a bad fall, and the first thing he did was cry out to a false god. And we learned that God basically responded saying, because you are not calling out to me, the one who gives life, you're asking, are you going to be okay or not? The answer is no. Because when you call on things that don't give you life, don't expect for life to happen. And I didn't write this down, but we were talking about this in men's group a little bit Thursday night, how we always talk about wanting to be healed of things, but oftentimes the things that we say don't match up with the faith we have. Maybe I need to say that some more. Like you say, God healed me from corona, but you say, I'm hurting, I'm sick, this ain't never going to pass. Well, the, the Bible says that the things that come out your mouth are the most powerful things that you got for you. So if you're believing for healing and you're speaking death, don't expect a miracle. I, I get tired of people saying, well, if you don't get healed, you don't have faith. That, that's not a law of God. God healed plenty of people that didn't even, that didn't even know who he was. That's, that's just preachers trying to make you feel bad about what they can't do. Is that okay that I say that? A lot of it has to do with where you're at. Where it, it has to do with, God, I'm willing to receive, but you've got to start putting some work to what you're having faith for. If you're having faith for healing, maybe laying up in the bed all day long ain't the best thing for you to do. Some people call me stubborn, but when I get sick, I have my moments when I lay in bed, but, and this only happens like twice a year when I get that sick. But when I feel the slightest burst of energy, I try to get up and do something. Even if it's walking to the door and back, I try to do something. Because faith without works is dead. Well, Ahaziah was calling out to the wrong God. And we talked about how the most powerful thing you can do is call on his name. And obviously, King Ahaziah ends up dying. And which is a prophecy that was fulfilled in what Elijah said. We're coming into the last day of Elijah, and we have seen Elijah do some mighty things in the name of God. And I wrote these down because I think over 10 weeks we may have forgotten all of them, but he speaks a drought for three years. He calls down fire from heaven, not once, not twice, but how many times? Three times. He multiplied a single piece of bread and a handful of flour to, to, to become never-ending resources for a widow and her son that would last three years through the drought. Then her son got sick, died, and Elijah raised the boy to life. That was the first resurrection, actually, we see in the Bible. We, he outran chariots of horses 14 miles down a mountain because when he called on the drought, God basically said, you better get going because the amount of rain I'm sending going to hurt you, right? He, he, he anointed future kings. He anointed the next one to take his place, Elisha. He prophesied Ahab's death, Jezebel's death, Ahaziah's death. He repented from running from Jezebel's threat and making a huge turnaround. He carried out the words that God spoke to him. He was walking in such an authority that the king's people were listening to him, or at least some of them, and, and stopped the assignment. He, he walked in such an authority that the king sent a captain with 50, and then Elijah came back to the king, and those people, that army, were his servants. Like, Elijah did so much in his lifetime. So many things that he followed God for. And after all that, after a life of submission to God, and God, have your way, do what you want to do, we're coming into 2 Kings chapter 2, and it is literally the last day that Elijah is on this earth. So I want to read... 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 to start us off. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has told me to go to Bethel. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel came to Elijah and asked him, Did you know that the Lord's going to take away your master today? Of course I know, Elisha answered. But be quiet about it. 
I kind of want to say that to some people sometimes. Hey, Pastor Kyle, did you know that? Yeah, be quiet about it. Or in my language, yeah, shut up. <laughs> Verse 4. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord's told me to go to Jericho. But Elisha replied again, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I'm never going to leave you. So they went together to Jericho. Well, then the group of prophets from Jericho came to Elisha and asked him, hey, man, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, but be quiet about it. If you read it like, 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 like it's real, you understand it better. And then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. But again, Elisha replied, as surely as, you would think Elijah would have got it by now. As surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went on together. Fifty men from the group of prophets also went and they watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. We're coming to an end for Elijah's earthly life. But he isn't going to die. He's one of the very few who for some reason God said, your flesh is not going to die. I'm going to take you up into the heavenlies. It says that God was going to take him up in a whirlwind. And before we get into the, the passage and really start diving into it, let me just make some things right that preachers get wrong. Elijah was not taken up in chariots of fire. How many of you? Oh, wow. Dang. How many of y'all heard that? Elijah was taken up in the chariots of fire. He was not taken up in chariots of fire. He was taken up in a what? A whirlwind. But before this was going to happen, and we're going to get to that at the, 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 toward the end of the chapter, God had some assignments for Elijah. But I want to make sure you understand, Elijah knew that the time was coming for his life to end, but he didn't necessarily know that this was the last day. He just simply knew God gave him some assignments. Go to Bethel, go to Jericho, and go to the Jordan River. Go to Bethel, go to Jericho, go to the Jordan River. And as Elijah visits these places, at each place, there's a group of prophets waiting for him. There's a group of prophets at Bethel. There's a group of prophets at Jericho. And then 50 from the group stood and watched him from a distance when he got to the Jordan River. In other translations, when we see these phrases, group of prophets, some translations say actually sons of prophets. Some translations even say a prophetic guild. In other words, when Elijah was going to these three places, he was actually visiting schools of prophets. He was actually visiting his sons, spiritual sons, learning the gift that Elijah walked in. Walking to all three places, seeing these schools of prophets. Elijah was on an assignment from God. He didn't know it was his last trip, but, or maybe so because he knew it was the last days. But he was taking a trip to each of these groups of schools, if you will, of prophets. Elijah, at the time, was honored as one of the, the most highest, important, baddest prophets of the day. He had a notoriety. He had a respect. He had an honor. And after years of hiding, the prophets have been revealed, and now they're being trained and they're being equipped for the day when Elijah was going to be gone. Because if you notice in the passage, when they're visiting the schools of the prophets, the, the, school, the spiritual sons are talking to Elisha. Hey man, you know, does he know, do you know that he's going to get taken up? Elijah's like, yeah, be quiet about it. They all knew. So there must have been some sort of prophetic word given at some point in time that Elijah was going to be taken up that day. Elijah may not have known it, but Elisha knew it, and the schools of the prophets all knew it. And Elijah was going around to these schools, and he was making sure that he was, he was telling them what they needed to hear. But more, more so than that, they were seeing something that they needed to see. He was getting them ready for the day when he was going to be gone. This is actually very similar to the picture of Jesus. Training and equipping and empowering for the day he would be gone. And I believe that we have missed this in the church. Because what happens in the church 
is we count on prominent preachers and prominent pastors and high up authors to lead the way and do everything while the people sit in the, in the chairs, sit in the pews, clap, stand, and give their money. And as long as the pastors and the preachers and the apostles and the prophets are doing their things, I'm good because all I know is I'm going to heaven. But what happens when the prominent men we so revere and the, 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 the prominent women that we so respect, what happens? happens when they're gone look at what's going on right now even in this house in this in this format church has become this let me teach you so that you can get a good word be encouraged and go out but I don't want to just encourage you I want to teach you and I want to empower you and equip you so that you can go do things outside of these walls that's going to make inside the walls look boring. I don't want to be a pastor of one of these churches where in order to get a miracle, you've got to come to church. I want the church to actually become the church. And when someone needs to be healed in Piggly Wiggly, you drop, you, you take your hands off your shopping cart, you put your hands on their shoulders, no matter if there's a six-foot distancing rule or not, and say, be healed in Jesus' name. And the reason they come here is to get equipped with what equipped you to do that. And that's exactly what's going on with Elijah. He's developed these schools because he knows one day I'm going to be gone. And I want to equip these young ones to walk and what I've walked in. You see, there needs to be an investment from what you walk in into those who want to walk in it. You've got to want to multiply what you've got in somebody else. A good preacher is not someone who preaches good. A good preacher is the one who takes the time to teach others who have a passion to do it how to teach. A good pastor is not someone who takes care of all your needs. A good pastor is one who helps you to understand how to meet your own. Y'all see what I'm A good CEO is not someone that's trying to get you to depend on him. A good CEO trains people up to do jobs that he can do, jobs that he can't do. And 99% of a CEO usually spends their time just thinking. Did you know that? Why? Because he's the visionary of the business, so he's got to, it don't matter if he's hearing from God or not, he's got to hear from something to cast vision for where the business needs to go. That's how the church is supposed to be modeled. But the world gets it and we don't. Because somewhere in time, we've made church the idea of people be dependent on the man. When God says, I've set certain men and women as the foundation to raise the church up. But in history, when the people got powerful, government didn't like the idea that they didn't need the government. So they started making these ideas like, let's make Bibles inaccessible. Let's, let's make sure no one can teach except for the ones that we want to teach. And that's how we got to the day of the modern church. Because the world saw power in the church. And now... The world's not scared of the church. And at some point, the table's got to turn, and the way you turn the table is we've got to multiply what we got. I don't care if you can sing great on the team. I care about will you multiply your gift. I don't care if you're a great prophet. If you can't multiply your gift, go prophesy your way somewhere else. Because God's going to speak to other people just like you ain't that great. Is this too much? We've got to multiply what we've got. We've got to multiply ourselves and others. I've been praying the past couple months about a, a few things, about, about raising up more pastors. I thought the other day about, I bet next year I'm going to have a how to write sermon class. Because my heart is not to preach here every week. Even though some of you think, well, we want you to. Well, that's great, but some people are like, no, we don't. But my heart is to take my gift and do what? Mul multiply it. In the ones that are called to do it. Okay? So 
I want to read 1 Peter 2, or chapter 5, 2 through 7. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. Don't lord over the people, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. Lead them by your own good example. When the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. It says, care for what's been entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly. You should be eager to care for the things that you've been given stewardship of. Watch over it willingly. There's a reason that you were given a job in something that you may not like. But before God pulls you into something that you may like more, you've got to show that you're willingly to give yourself into the thing you've got now. Is this okay? It says, don't lord over the people. Lead the people. And you who are under those people, accept the authority and humble yourself, and at the right time you'll be lifted up. The problem in the church is that we've got a combination of pastors who all they do is lord over people. Look at my gift. Look what I can do. And when they hear you've got to get, they get threatened and find every way to shut you up and tie you up. And then on the other side of that, you've got people who are rebellious and selfish, and full of pride, and because you think you've got something that's better than the man leading the church, you don't wait for, what does it say? The right time that God will lift you up. You try to expedite the process on your own accord. And we don't like to wait on God. We don't like to humble ourselves to leaders who are less qualified than us. Can you imagine following Moses, a guy that couldn't even get out of word without stuttering? Well, I could, I could preach better than Moses. I could teach better than Moses. That dude, you know, I can do better than Kyle. He spits all over the front row. <laughs> but that's what happens in the church. I can do that better. Well, why don't you humble yourself? Because God knows what you got. Some of the most maturing times of my life is when I've had to serve under people that I knew that I could do what they do better. That's not, I'm not trying to be prideful or boastful, boastful about it. There's just some things that you know that you can do better. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you have a stage of musicians. I, I know that I'm a pretty good piano player. I'm waiting for the day that someone says, I can do it better. I'm not really threatened by that right now. I want that to happen, but let's play, let's play the card that I'm a piano player on the worship team, and I, I just I, I, want, I want to play all the time, and you know you're good. But with me, if someone came up to me and said, I can sing better than you, I know they probably can because I just can't sing. If someone said that about maybe Jacob, I would say, let's see what you got, <laughs> right? Because there's just certain things you know people can do better than you, and there's certain things you know that you just, you, you, you secure. <laughs> but we've got to get to a place in our lives and understanding multiplying what you've got that the purpose of your position is to raise up others who can Simply take it whenever God says it's time for them to have it. And if we would get in that posture in the church, can you imagine the unity that would take place because there's no more defense of this is my spot. This is my place. This is what God has called me to do. 
if God's given you something, multiply it. Elijah is going, tending to these schools of those below him, and he is in his greatest day. And I wanted to say this, you are never too great to humble yourself to be with people who are under you. Can, can, uh, I want you to really look at the picture of Elijah. He's in his greatest day as a prophet. I mean, can you imagine like someone coming to church and, hey, what'd you do this week? Well, you know, I worked my nine to five and went home, cooked some dinner, you know, I prayed. What'd you do this week? Well, I called down some fire from heaven, I multiplied some bread, I resurrected a dude from the dead, you know, just a regular week. Elijah was like at the top of his game, but he didn't have this typical preacher mentality of, I don't have time for you. He didn't have this mentality of, I can't be with the people. I can't be with the lessers. He's in his most prominent day as a prophet. And his last assignment is going to people who can't do what he, he can do. You're never too important to sow into people. It's, this may be just elementary, but I feel like this is a word. We've got to understand that we've got to multiply ourselves. You're never too good to multiply yourself. You're never too good to find people who are not as seasoned as you and say, let's throw some seasoning on that thing. Because the reason people are beneath you is because you're supposed to help promote them past you. I want, to be, I want relentless to be known as the kind of house when we say to see people come alive in Christ, we really mean it. Our goal is for people to actually grow. Our goal is for people's understanding to outgrow the teacher's understanding. I, I, I mean this with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my everything else that scripture said that Michael read. When I stand before my God, I want him to say, well done, that you made people better than you. You multiplied what you had. And there's reason to believe that Elijah, again, didn't even know that this was the last day. You know, he's spending his last day on earth speaking to students. There's reason to believe that he doesn't know it's his last day because you see in verses one through seven, a question keeps getting posed to Elisha over and over. Amen, do you know that God is going, is going to take your master today? And what did Elisha say? Yeah, but be quiet about it. Hush. He doesn't need to know that. He's focused on what God has called him to do. But you see, the beautiful thing is that Elisha isn't going to these schools of prophets because he thinks it's his last day. He's simply following what God's telling him to do. And in humbling himself to do what God asks of him, it actually leads him to one of the greatest honors of all time, escaping physical death and being taken up into heaven. All from following the lead of going to people who are less than you that can't give anything to you on the last day that the most prominent prophet in perhaps the Bible is on earth. There's been such a hierarchy put in the church. I, I, I'll describe it to you like this, clergy and lay people. Do you realize that in Revelation, it actually talks against a clerical priesthood? You know, you know what a clerical priesthood is? Pastors who put themselves above the people. Okay. Is this clergy? And there should be no separation from people who are ordained for ministry and people who are not. Because people who are not ordained are not less. If I'm ordained for ministry, my job is to make you better than a license could ever give me. There should be no division. But yet how many people in the Christian church are all about, I want to get this title and I want to get this position and I want to get this and get that. We are all on the same plane with different functions. And in humbling himself to say, God, what would you have me do? He gets to, this, he gets to the exact destiny 
that he didn't even know had coming for him. And so many of us miss out on what the Lord wants to do because we've not learned the humility of multiplying what you have for the benefit of others. And Ephesians 2, 10, it even says this, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can go do, we can go do the good things he planned for us long ago. Why did he create you new? Not so that you can just be secure in where you're going when your flesh dies. It's so that you can do things he planned for you that you couldn't do on the other side of salvation. Because what happens when you're saved is not only are you made a new creation in Christ, but you as a new creation are now rightfully positioned. You are righteous. You are rightfully positioned to carry out the assignments on behalf of God Almighty. He says, I have got things that I plan for you to do that you haven't been able to do. And now that you believe in me, you can go do them. And some of the things you were created to do, it doesn't exactly get you to a high platform sometimes. And sometimes the things you were created to do don't necessarily take you to a place where you feel like you're getting all the accolades that the flesh wants. What is one thing that Elijah was created to do? Raise up these schools of prophets for the day he will be gone. Not to parade around demanding respect and demanding honor because of what he's got. And Elijah, knowing that he was about to be gone, that, be gone maybe not that day, but be gone, he knew his time was drawing near, so he's putting Elisha in tests as well. He's going to these schools of prophets, but every time he tells Elijah, I'm going to Bethel, I'm going to Jericho, I'm going to the Jordan, he says, Elisha, stay here. And Elisha, knowing what's going to happen, says, no, I ain't going nowhere until I see this thing. I, I feel like I would have been Elisha if I knew that a whirlwind was going to come down and take up my spiritual father up in the heavens. I've been like, I ain't listening, I'm staying right here. I'm going to watch this thing. But Elisha is actually passing a test from his mentor because there's more going on here than meets the eye. You see, all Elisha is concerned with is, I won't leave you. And in passing this test of stay behind, Elisha doesn't even realize that Elisha is being brought before all of these schools of prophets. Because before the day is over, and by the time Elijah is taken up, all these schools of prophets are seeing Elijah's replacement. If he had stayed in the place that was easier, he wouldn't have been positioned in front of all these other prophets who probably wanted what Elisha had, like the second hand of Elijah. He was positioning his, his, his student, his spiritual son, to make sure that by the time he was gone, everyone knew who was going to take up his mantle. Elijah was actually positioning Elisha under the Lord's direction. God said, go to Bethel, go to Jericho, go to Jordan. Ephesians 4.3 says, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. One reason to make every effort to keep united in the spirit is more is going on than you realize, and you are being positioned. It may have been easier for Elisha to stay behind, but he was following God, and since they were united and seeking God, Elisha was passing Elijah's test. He said, I'm not going to get away from you. I'm not going to separate from you. I'm going to be with you the whole way. And because he stayed united, he was being positioned in front of all these schools of prophets for Elijah to make it known, this is my successor. And I believe, man, it's so hot in here to y'all. And I believe that that's one thing we've missed in the house of God. When you don't get elevated, you feel like I'm being overlooked. And they don't care about me. 
and they don't see my gift. But maybe you're not humbling yourself to the leadership so that God will elevate you when you're supposed to be elevated. You see, that, that's the beautiful thing. God knows what you've got, and as long as you stay united to the people of God, God is going to place you where he needs to place you. But you've got to stay tied into the people that are positioning you for that day. For my first 10 years of ministry, I served pastors that, quite frankly, it was one or the other. I either couldn't stand them, didn't like them, or I thought I could do it better. Is that okay to just be real? I'm not saying I was right, but that's what I thought. But I didn't let my thought move me. I said, God, what do you want me to do? You know what he said? Stay. I never forget, I, I left college in the middle of it, full ride through med school, hundreds of thousands of dollars, left it for $14,000 as a youth pastor, which really meant maintenance man, and I couldn't do anything maintenance. And I remember in the first two or three months of working there, I got an offer to go away from the summer and make a lot more money playing piano with a band. I got excited. So I go to my pastor. Hey, man, how about y'all save your salary for the summer? I'll be back when the students are in school. Let me go play. And you know what he said to me? He looked at me and he said, well, you can go play. But you ain't going to have a job back here if you do. So you pick. When he walked out the door, I cussed more in that office than I ever did in college. Is, is that okay to say? And I, wasn't, I, was, I was so mad. And after I got out my little rant, and I had already planned to go tell him, take the job and, you know, do something with it, God said, you done? And I said, yeah. He said, I put you here. I know that that gig looks great, but that's not what I'm positioning you for. And for the next seven years, I had to learn stuff that would make me a better person for what I'm positioned for right now. It's, it's really easy to stay tied to people when it looks great, but it's hard when it gets rough. And before you leave, you better consult God before yourself. Elisha, you stay behind, man. It's going to be a lot easier for you to stay here in, in Gilgal. I'm, I'm going with you. Hey, you, you, well, you came to me at Bethel. It's easier for you to stay here. No, I'm, I'm going to Jericho. Every time, I'm going. So they go to Bethel, they go to Jericho, and now they come to the Jordan River. Is this interesting? Okay. In verse 7, it says, 50 men from the group of prophets also went, and they watched from a distance as Elijah and Elisha stopped beside the Jordan River. And then Elijah folded his cloak together, struck the water with it, and the river divided. And the two of them went across on dry ground. Wow. As if the dude didn't have enough miracles under his belt before he got taken up into the whirlwind. Very similar to the miracles of Moses parting the Red Sea and even Joshua going through the Jordan. Why this miracle? You know, why couldn't they have waited for the water to die down? Why couldn't they have taken another path? Why? God was wanting to bring them to a destination following his lead. And when you follow what God is saying and where he is taking you, obstacles carry no authority to keep you from moving forward. The authority was not in the obstacle of the river. The authority was God said, you go here, and you don't let nothing stop you. It reminded me of this scripture in Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, now this, is, this is a popular one, but listen to what it says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on what you understand. Don't use your logic. Don't use your reasoning. Right? In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths what? Straight. And sometimes it is straight through something that logic and reason will try to take another road or go around.
I'm going to make your path straight. And when I'm telling you to march forward, if you come to an obstacle, you tell that obstacle to get out the way instead of letting the obstacle dictate another path. The church in 2021, God says very clearly a long time ago, don't forsake the gathering of the saints. Meet together. Stay together. COVID comes. You know what all the churches did? When we should have went right, we went. And it's called outdoor services and masks and social distancing. And the Bible says, put your hands on the sick that they may be healed. But not, not COVID. That wasn't in the Bible. You know, you know what my scripture says? I look at the river. I look at the disease. I look at the sickness and saying, you are not going to tell me how to worship my God. I'm going straight through whether you like it or not. And when they got the dry ground, look at Elijah walking this idea of multiply what you got. In verse 9, they came to the other side. And Elijah wasn't like, hey man, you see what I just did? You know? He just simply looked at Elisha. Says, tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken away. And Elijah replied, please let me inherit a double share, a double portion of your spirit and become your successor. You know what's kind of cool? Elijah isn't concerned with himself. He's not looking at Elijah and saying, hey man, you know, it's, it's, getting, it's getting close. I can feel it. Can you go, you know, take care of my family affairs and you know, take care of this issue and take care of that issue. He wasn't asking Elijah what Elijah could do for him. He looked at Elijah and said, what can I do for you? Because Elijah was, had this idea. What I'm supposed to do is multiply myself in the one that God told me to anoint with my mantle. Remember, Eli Elisha was very rich. He had oxen and plows. And one day Elijah shows up, puts his mantle on him. And Elisha just sold everything and followed him, became poor, just left. So I'm going after that. And if Elijah hadn't done enough, what else can I do for you? So he says, let me get the double portion. Elijah, asking him what he could do, he said, you know, Elisha, let me, let me wash your feet. How can I serve you? How can I help position you? How can I multiply myself and others and give them what I, what I, what I have? Not how do I protect me, how do I look out for me, not look, no, he said, what can I do for you? And look at the boldness of Elisha when Elijah asked what I can do for you. Elisha wasn't bashful. He's like, I want the, the what? The double portion. Can we say that together make sure you're awake? He, he wanted the double portion. But I want to talk about double portion because a lot of people preach double portion wrong because I'm sure you've heard that thing that Elisha wanted twice as much as Elijah had. You ever heard that? Yeah, yeah that, that's not what double portion means. Because, you know, we think double portion means I, I, I want what he had times two. That's not what double portion means. I, I want to preach like him, but I want to do it times two. That's not what double portion means. I want to do miracles like Elijah, but I want to do it times two. That's not what double portion means. You want to know what it means? Look at Deuteronomy 21, 15 through 17. I hope this, this is, okay. Suppose a man has two wives, praise God. No, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm kidding, y'all. Chill out. <laughs> Maybe. Suppose a man has two wives, but he loves one and not the other. And both have given him sons. Mm-hmm. And suppose the firstborn son is the son of the wife that he don't like. Firstborn son is the son of the one that he doesn't love. When the man divides his inheritance, he may not give the larger inheritance to his younger son, the son of the wife he loves, as if he were the firstborn son. Now, I want to pause before you get, this is what's going on. I got two wives, I got a firstborn, I got a secondborn. My firstborn is with the one I don't love. My secondborn is with the one I do love. Scripture says you can't get 
what the firstborn should have. You cannot give that to the son of the one you love. You can't discard the firstborn because you don't like where he came from. You can't discard the firstborn because you don't like his mama. Verse 17, you must recognize the rights of his oldest son, the son of the wife he does not love by giving him a... In other words, he don't get the inheritance of his mama on his mama's side. He gets... He, the father doesn't get to split up his inheritance to the first and the second. Now, this is in that time. Don't twist this to modern times. He says, that first son is going to get everything. Double meaning what could have been split between two. I'm giving all of it to one. He's the first son of his father's virility, and the rights of the firstborn belong to him. Elisha simply asked, I want the right to be regarded as an heir of you as if I was your firstborn son. I want the rights that a firstborn should have. You want to know what double portion is? I don't want just what you're good at in the flesh. I don't want just how you're a great prophet. I want the prophet. I want the man. I want the power. I want the miracles. I want everything you've got from the flesh from your man, from God, I want all of it. Him asking for double portion simply said, I want to walk in the inheritance of everything you've got. Does it make sense? I want all of it. I don't just want the mantle. I want the mantle, I want the power, I want all of you as if I were the one to inherit as your son. Elisha just said, when you go, I want what's in you to be multiplied in me and operate as if I were yours. Do you know that that's what Jesus did for you? He said, I'm going to make you right to receive the Spirit of God. But then something else happens. Look at Romans 8, 15-17. You have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own. You didn't just get salvation. You got Him. Now we call on Him, Abba, Father, for His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are His kids. And since we're His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together... With Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. If we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. He says, now that you've been adopted into the family, you operate in the rights of a firstborn just like Jesus. Jesus was the son of God. So Jesus says, let's adopt you into being heirs of God the Father and everything that I've got you're going to get the inheritance of it. That's why Jesus says, you are going to do greater things than I. Because you're not just getting a part of me, you're getting the whole flipping double portion that's me. You're getting the power, you're getting the identity, you're getting the right to. You ain't got to talk to a priest, you can talk right to my father. You, you're getting the whole thing. All the power, all the rights. See, even Jesus had the goal of, I want to multiply what I've got. And, and look at what Elijah did. You, verse 10, you, you've asked a difficult thing, Elijah replied. I'll tell you what, if you see me when I'm taken from you, you'll get your request. If not, you won't. If you see me, you're going to get it. Boom. Elisha was being tested the entire time. Because if he had not followed him to places that he didn't need to go, he wouldn't be positioned to, to receive a double portion that he would have only gotten if he what did what? Seek. And so many don't like to follow. 
But I also think that the ones leading must have an attitude of multiplying so that people will follow. Verse 11, as they were walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, drawn by horses of fire. It drove between the two men, separating them. And Elijah was carried by a whirlwind into heaven. You see, the chariot didn't take him. The chariot had a different purpose. You see, the chariots of fire did not carry Elijah to heaven. The chariots had the function of separating them. You see, Elisha was so tied to his spiritual father that nothing would cause him to separate except an act of God himself. And all they were doing was unified, walking and talking about double portions, about how would you do that, about how can I walk in what you've walked in. But they had to be separated for the whirlwind to take Elijah up. But there was something even greater in the purpose of the chariots. Because if you remember, Elijah spent some time in a cave. And in the cave, he found God not in the fire, but in the whisper. You see, it's easy to assume when you see chariots of fire that that's where God is. And, and watch what happens in verse 12. I'm getting to the end, believe it or not. Elisha saw it. And he cried out, my father, my father, I see the chariots and the charioteers of Israel. And as he disappeared from sight, Elisha tore his clothes in distress. Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak, which had fallen when he was taken up. And then Elisha returned to the bank of the Jordan River. Elisha cried out. But he didn't say, I see the chariots of heaven. He said, I see the chariots of Israel. You see, what Elisha actually saw was the strength of Israel that was in the presence of God. Because chariots and, chari and, and, and all those things, it was symbols of strength and fortitude. You see, he saw where strength and protection rested in. Israel's strength and protection was all in God Almighty. And because he saw the whole thing, he would inherit Elijah's inheritance. But something else to note, it would have been really easy to keep his focus on the chariots. I mean, if I was walking along with my spiritual father and like chariots of fire just came, I would have been like, I would have paused. But Elisha was so united to his spiritual father that he not only looked at the chariots, but he also saw Elijah being taken up in the whirlwind. You see, it's easy to focus on miracles and not the giver of miracles. It's easy to get lost in a focus of we want to see manifestations and not in a focus of pursuing God. Is, is this? But getting the double portion was in focusing on receiving what the Father had for him, not getting lost in a marvelous display. And, and I feel like that's where the church is sometimes. We're seeking the marvelous displays and not the displayer. We're, see, we're seeking, we want healings and we want uh, even baptisms. Like, those, these are all great things, but that's not the thing we should be seeking. We shouldn't be seeking tongues and we shouldn't be seeking tongues of fire like an axe. We should not be seeking healings. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be seeking those things. We should be seeking walking with our God in heaven so that if he chooses to manifest in any of those ways, let it be. But not focusing on the thing, trying to highlight that as really what the church has done, use it as a marketing tool to get people in the seats. The only marketing tool the Bible says is the only way a person can come to God is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. That's why at least this house is not what you would call a seeker-sensitive house, because my, I'm just not good at that. That's not my gift. What God's called this house to do is to equip those who already know him. And sure, do people come to know Jesus? Absolutely. But the, the, the focus of this house is disciple people and raise them up. 
And if you do that, then all the evangelism that happens in some churches will happen in your life. See, it's not discarding it. It's putting it in your hands. It's making you aware of the double portion you received when you said, Jesus, I'm yours. It's making you aware that everything you need to do, you can do, and you don't need a building, a pulpit, or an altar. You know what the altar is? You are the temple of God, and the altar is everywhere where you walk. See, we've got to get out of this day of you got to get to church. We've got to get out of this day of there's, like, there's something special about the 10 feet between the first chair and the stage. There's nothing special about this. The thing that's special is what God deposited in you. And I wonder, how, how are you managing that inheritance? Air. But even in this glorious moment, Elisha, you know, he, he, he tore his clothes off. And he, and he went in the deep mourning. But it didn't last long. It says he went in the morning and then he picked up the mantle of Elijah and went back to the river. Now, why was the mantle left behind when Elijah was taken up? Because it was a special mark of the inheritance that Elisha was receiving. But the Bible, has, it says there's a time for mourning. But notice Elijah went from mourning into action. Because sometimes mourning will keep you at a place of loss instead of moving forward into a place of purpose. There's a time for it, but... You are never called to stay there. It's the most dangerous place to stay in a place of mourning. So in verse 14, we see what he does. He says, he struck the water with Elijah's cloak and cried out, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? In other words, all right, God, where you at? Then the river divided. You, you, you see, we always talk about the power of Elijah, but it wasn't Elijah. It was the power of God operating through. <laughs> and the exact same thing that happened in Elijah instantly happened with who? Elisha. Do you realize that the things Jesus did could instantly happen with you if you would move past the idea that I'm saved? Like, can we talk, like, move past the idea that you're saved. What, what do you mean? I'm saved, now what do I do with it? But what the church loves to do is, I'm saved, I'm good, I'm going to heaven, I have peace where I'm going, I'm going to be in the pearly gates, and I'm going to walk on the streets and go, get past it. I'm saved, now what? I'm saved, you've made me right to go do assignments. What's the assignment? Because now that I've got the assignment, I've got the same power that Jesus had. I've got the same power that Elijah had got the same power Elisha had. I've got the power of God given to me as an heir, a son or daughter of God above. So what are you doing with it? You should be walking around multiplying yourself, making everything that you've got available in the ones that are under you or beside you or the, the people in your workplace and your family. Multiply. And when all this happened, the school of the prophets, they recognized Elisha as his successor. Why? Dude split the river. Remember, 50 prophets were at the Jordan doing what? Watching. You see, Elijah multiplied what he had in the next Elisha for the rest. And they honored him without question. I got this word when I was praying in there. Everyone's been asking, when is Jezebel going to die? And you would have thought that Jezebel would have died when Elijah in his day, but he actually dies in Elisha's day. You know what, that, you know what the Lord spoke to me earlier? He said, sometimes the reason you have to raise up the next generation is for them to see something fall that you wish would have fall or fell in your day. You know, we always talk about, I want to see this in my lifetime. Maybe we should get more obsessed with how can I multiply myself so whether it's my lifetime or not, it happens. 
They saw Elisha. They didn't need to hear a sermon. They didn't need to be persuaded. They didn't need to be convinced because all they saw was power working through him. I wonder how many words could we say if people actually just saw the power of God working through us. In the last two verses of 2 Kings chapter 2 that we're going to read for the series, it says, Sir, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Let me go back to verse 15. I'm sorry, Michael, I didn't read it. When the group of prophets from Jericho saw from a distance what happened, they exclaimed, Elijah's spirit rests upon Elisha. They went to meet him and they bowed to the ground before him. You see that they received him like that. 16, sir, just say the word and 50 of our strongest men will search the wilderness for your master. Perhaps this fear of the Lord just left him on some mountain or in some valley. No, don't send them, Elisha said. But they kept urging him until they shamed him into agreeing. And he finally said, all right, send him. So 50 men searched for three days. Guess what? They ain't, ain't going to find him. They didn't find Elijah. Elisha was still at Jericho when they returned. Didn't I tell you not to go? And that's where we're going to stop in 2 Kings. But something to pull out of that. Elisha knew that Elijah was nowhere to be found, and he eventually sent them to prove what he was trying to say. But this is what I want to point out. They needed his permission. All the schools of the prophets, they asked for permission to go find him. Because all day, what was happening with Elijah? Let's go to Bethel. Let's go to Jericho. Let's go to the Jordan. Then when it all went down, because they were all familiar with the one walking with Elijah, they saw in an instant who was going to be the one that was going to keep the schools going, that was going to raise up, that was going to multiply what he got from Elijah into all these people. All because Elijah multiplied what he had. We must multiply what we have. But there's also something to be said about sons and daughters that are being the ones mentored and raised up and pastored and discipled. Because in Hebrews 5, 4 through 5, and I'm closing with this, it says that no one can become a high priest simply because he wants the honor. He must be called by God to do this work, just as Aaron was. This is why Christ didn't honor himself by assuming he, he could become a high priest. No, no, he was chosen by God, who said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. I read that to point this out. We are to multiply ourselves in people, our gifts, our talents, making people aware of the power that's in them as an heir, a son and daughter of Christ. But everyone is also being mentored or being raised up by somebody. And if you're not, you should be. No matter how old you are or how young you are. You've got to have patience when God chooses to place you. Because it can get really easy to consume ourselves in God's called me to that. And, and you keep your eyes on, I've got this vision and I've got to go here and I've got to go there. But you notice Elijah had to keep his eyes focused on Elijah. And it's really easy to get caught up in this is where I should be and not simply honoring the ones that you've been placed under in your journey that are going to position you for when God says, now it's time. There is such a need for honor in the church. And it needs to go up, down, left, right, diagonal, every single way. Because the fact of the matter is, every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ is an heir to everything he's got. So regardless if you are a superstar preacher or called to clean toilets, if you've got the same thing as they got, I need to honor you just as I would have honored them. 
You think about, the ne- about that the next time someone makes you mad at work or tries to stiff you on a bill or a waitress does a bad job at a restaurant or a family member says some things they shouldn't. God has things for them. God's got plans for them. So instead of responding to validate yourself, maybe you should ask God, what can be multiplied in this situation? How can I show them who he is? How can I multiply their awareness of who he is? How can I outdo the one that doesn't deserve honor with honor? Remember in the, earlier in the series, the, the prophet, the hidden prophet Obadiah serving the king? Do you realize how many things he served under and honored the king in? A king who was worshiping Baal and worshiping false gods and at the right time. He was, it was allowed for him to make it known that I don't serve your God, buddy. Honor. We've got to become a people that multiply ourselves, but more so the thing we need to multiply is the fact that God lives in us and he should be, known, be made known everywhere. If we will be consumed with simply serving where we are now, what is in us will be multiplied. Everything is an opportunity to serve. Stop looking at everything as an opportunity for advance. If we would look at everything as an opportunity to serve, that's when God says, you are positioned so I advance you. How do you move up in a, a career? Serve great. Don't tell the boss how you can do it better. You see, the thing about God is that his laws work, period, for those, those that believe and those who don't believe. He lays it all out for us. Follow him so that everyone will know who he is. Let us be a people who only care about God. What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And who would you have me serve? And let's multiply what we've got. Amen.